Our scripture lesson this night comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 22. Hear now the word of our God from Joshua, chapter 22. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have, in I, that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, Go back to your tents with, very, with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go down to the land of Gilead, their own land, of which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it, heard it said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, and they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you, re- if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things? And wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel. And he did not perish alone for his iniquity. Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, The mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows, and let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. 
or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come your children might say to our children, What have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you, between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And we thought, if this should be said to us or to our descendants in time to come, we should say, Behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering, or sacrifice other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. When Phinehas, the priest, and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst, because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the chiefs, returned from the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the people of Israel, and brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness, for they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight we are going to be looking at the story of Ed. Uh, Ed being the Hebrew word translated witness. Around 1830, an elderly man and his sister sat down with a lawyer to draw up their will. Neither had ever married, and they wanted to do something useful with their life savings, so they determined to endow a scholarship at Princeton Seminary. They had both been born and reared in Scotland under the ministry of John Brown of Haddington, one of the finest preachers in 18th century Scotland. They had settled in Orange County, New York, where they had taught school for many years, and they had saved up uh, quite a sum of money. So this is what they said on their bequest. Whereas, after a life of nearly fourscore years, much of which has been spent in examining the word of God, we are fully satisfied of the correctness of the doctrines of religion as set down in this confession of faith, the larger and shorter catechisms drawn up by the Westminster Assembly of Divines, and as held by the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church of the United States, we desire that the scholarship which is endowed by this, our bequest of $2,500, be called the Ed Scholarship, as a witness between us and the Theological Seminary that the Lord, he is God, agreeable to the said Faith, confession of faith and catechisms. Father, it is our will that the professors in said seminary be careful that no person holding sentiments inconsistent with the confession of faith, the larger and shorter catechisms, may ever be admitted to the benefit of said scholarship. The lawyer who was drawing up the will was puzzled. Why are you calling it the Ed scholarship? Marion Hall replied, And did you can, young man, and go and read your Bible? Well, well I, I have read it, and I do not re recollect the meaning or use of Ed. Well, 
Ed is the Hebrew word translated witness, and after she explained the significance of the name of the monument, the elderly lady summarized the heart of the issue as far as she, as far as she was concerned. I didn't like your Hopkinsians. I believe in the doctrines of the Bible as expressed in the confession of faith. Now, Robert and Marion Hall understood well that the, the doctrinal quarrels of the 1820s might result in the division of the Presbyterian Church, which did happen in 1837. Just as the erection of an altar nearly led in, to the division of East and West in Joshua's day. And they hoped that donating money for a scholarship could do its part in bearing witness as a testimony of the unity of the church united around the doctrines of the Bible as expressed in the Confession of Faith. Now, the, the Halls didn't live to see the division of 1837 or the reunion of 1869, but they understood that they lived in a time that paralleled the situation of Joshua 22, a time when the church was in danger of being split apart and only faithful witness to the word of God could preserve the church. And I, I, I give it to you as a story, an example of, of how we as Christians should think of our own lives in, the, in terms of the history of God's people. Robert and Marion Hall looked at their situation and said, Ah, we fit into the story of what God is doing here. We oftentimes focus the other way around. We say, oh, what does the Bible say to me? That means that my story is the central narrative. And the question is, how does what God says apply to my story, which is the most important story in the world? Of course, as soon as you say it that way, you realize, yeah, my story really isn't the most important story in the world. So how do we turn it around and say, how does my life fit into God's big story of salvation? And when we ask that question, a couple of things happen. Well, one thing is it makes us look outside ourselves. We take ourselves off the throne. I'm not the center of the universe. Of course, the other thing it does is it forces us to get really serious about understanding the word of God. Because if I'm going to figure out how I fit into the story of what God is saying and doing, then I actually have to know my Bible. Robert and Marion Hall were, knew the story of the Bible so well that they could say, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna call, we're gonna, we're gonna call our scholarship the Ed Scholarship. And this lawyer who, un, you know, undoubtedly had grown up in the church, he seems like, you know, yeah, I know my Bible pretty well, but Ed? <laughs> I mean, probably most of you were sort of like, the story of Ed? What do, you know, where does the Bible talk about Ed? Um, but that, you know, that's, that's because actually in the King James, my recollection, I, th I think the King James actually did, call, and they called it Ed. So, um, since we don't use the King James, we don't use the word Ed in our Bibles. But let's look at the story of Ed and see how the story of Ed, how do we fit into this story? What's going on here? The story of Ed begins with the tribes of Israel returning to the land of their possession. Here, particularly the, the warriors from the eastern tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half of Manasseh are returning back across the Jordan to return to the lands that they had received from Moses as a possession. In Joshua 13 to 19, we had heard of, of the division of the land, and now Joshua is sending the eastern tribes home. For several years, the two and a half tribes have continued to go to war with their brothers. Uh, we're told in verse 8 that they return with much wealth, and they're told to divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. Uh, this helps us understand part of what's been going on here, that, that it's not that all of the men of the eastern tribes went to war, Actually, we're not told the details, but 
if it's done like most ancient Near Eastern cultures of the time, it would have been a rotation system, where probably every, every spring there would have been a new rotation of uh, warriors that would show up and spend the year in the because in the spring you'd go off to war, and so they'd basically be going in rotation. And the question is now, okay, we've got all the plunder. When we're sending the plunder and the spoil back, uh, everybody should get an equal share. Obviously, some some people had worse worse time fighting than others. But part of it is you have you can't just spend ten years everybody off fighting. Who's going to raise the crops? And for that matter, who's going to protect your land in the east from nomads, marauders, raids? So now the uh, Reuben, Gad, and the eastern half of Manasseh returned home to the inheritance that Moses had given them on the east side of the Jordan. These two and a half tribes have, are, you might say, laboring out of bounds. They are outside of the promised land. We saw when Israel crossed the Jordan River at the beginning of the book of Joshua. That's when Israel enters the land. So now two and a half tribes of Israel are going to be back outside the land, and that's their inheritance. Now, what is that doing? Why, why does Moses give two and a half of the tribes an inheritance outside the land? Well, do you remember what were the three parts of the promise to Abraham? You know this one, kids. The land and the seed and the blessing to the nations. So think about what God's doing here. We've already seen in the inheritance of the 12 tribes that, uh, that the seed includes all sorts of people. We've seen that Caleb, Caleb's not actually an Israelite. He's part of the tribe of Judah, but he's a Kenizzite. That's not a descendant of Jacob. So he's an outsider who's being included in the people of God. So already the seed means more than just the biological descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're already seeing that now that the land also means more than just the, the, the precise boundaries that God had spoken of to Abraham. We're beginning to see that God's purposes for salvation are bigger than just, well, and actually, once you get to the blessing to the nations, but it's bigger than the land and the seed. The blessing to the nations already has begun. The blessing to the nations is not something that has to wait for the New Testament to come. It already begins to happen in, actually, in the very book of Genesis. It already began to happen when Pharaoh blessed Jacob. Uh, but there's already the beginnings of God's promises coming to the nations, both in terms of the land and the seed. But now notice the, the warning that's given as, as these two and a half tribes go back across the Jordan Remember who you are. You're, you're going out of the heart of the land. But even as you leave the land physically, do not depart spiritually. Remain connected to the people of God. And, and Joshua says in verse 5, Be careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And what is the commandment? Notice that he uses the, the, the term commandment in the singular. Well, in Deuteronomy 6, Moses had given the commandment, Shema Yisrael, Yeva Eloheinu, Yeva Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your... That is the commandment. At the very heart of the law is the, command, the singular commandment to love the Lord your God. Love is at the heart of the law. 
And so this is, if you think about what Joshua has just told the eastern tribes, don't forget, remember who you are. So as they're going home, they're like, okay guys, um, how can we do this better? You, you can see, you know, so they, they, didn't, they didn't talk about this with, with Joshua, they didn't talk about this with the priests, but as they're going home, they're talking, how can we, how can we remind ourselves, how can we re- encourage each other, how can we build each other up as we walk in this, in, as we, as, you know, and they come to the Jordan, and as they come to the Jordan, they seem to have remembered, right, when we crossed the Jordan and came into the land, Joshua had us take 12 stones and we built a sort of a, a sort of an altar as a, a, as, a, as, a, as a memorial of God's faithfulness when we crossed over the Jordan. Hey, we should do that again. <laughs> so they build an imposing altar. They build there on the, an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the word gets out. Because and this, this is where, you know, maybe good communication would have helped. Although, but word gets out. They built an altar. And the altar is built on the frontier, right near the Jordan, but on the western side of the Jordan, the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel hear of this, the whole assembly gathers to make war. Why did they gather to make war? Well, because God had been really clear in, the, in Deuteronomy. You only sacrifice at the tabernacle. And the tabernacle's at Shiloh. So they gather together at Shiloh to say, okay, we got to deal with this. If you think about it, even in the book of Joshua, when Achan had sinned, <laughs> this was, they had to deal with it. And if they, and because you know, when they didn't deal with it at first, people started dying. And so this is a concern. And here they have built this imposing altar at the Jordan, which looks to them like the eastern tribes are setting up their own altar to worship uh, away from, the, from Shiloh. It sounds bad. It sounds really bad. But notice what they do. They gather to, to go to war, but they realize, okay, we should find out what's going on first. So before we, before we attack, we should send messengers and figure out what's going on. Just a word to the wise. It's a really good idea. When, when you hear that something, somebody's done something, said something, and you're ready to go to war, I know, you're, you probably aren't taking guns and knives, uh, but you do use words. When you hear, and I mean, just let me encourage the children, children, youth, as well as adults, sort of when you hear that somebody has said something or that somebody sort of make sure you find out what really happened before you make assumptions about what happened, because if you take action based on hearsay, just think of what would have happened if Israel had taken action based on hearsay. They've got, you know, we're, they're marching in and they're killing their brothers without cause. What do we do when we start speaking and acting based on hearsay? We start killing our brothers and sisters without cause. So make sure that you actually know what's going on before going to war. And notice who they send. They send Phineas. Now, Eleazar is still the high priest, but Phineas, his eldest son, is the one who will become high priest after the death of his father. And as the high priest in waiting, Phineas must learn how to mediate between God and his people. That will be his task as high priest. And so they send him, in one sense, they could have sent Eleazar, 
but no, they're going to send Phineas because it's, it's time for the next generation to start learning how to do this. Also, it just really seems to me that as, 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 our, as our next generation is getting uh, up in age, and you know, it's a really good time for us to be thinking about how do we set the next generation to important tasks, not just making them do menial stuff here and there, but actually important tasks in the life of the church. But also notice that Joshua is not mentioned here. There's no, no reference to Joshua being even part of the conversation. His work is done. He is no longer the one that leads Israel into battle. He will summon Israel one more time, but he's not the ruler of the land. There's no talk of making Joshua king. He was the one who caused Israel to inherit, but long before, uh, long before you know, George Washington, or even long before Cincinnatus had demonstrated this, Joshua had said, I've done the job that I'm called to do. I'm stepping back. It's not, my, it's not my job anymore. It's time for others to take on the role. He understands that he must diminish in order that others may increase. It's equally true in the church. I mean, right now, okay, we've got, we've got mostly middle-aged elders, but we need to train up younger folk as the leaders of tomorrow. Just like they send Phineas to do important negotiations. Now, um, think about who Phineas is. The first we heard of Phineas was back in Numbers 25, when Phineas speared an idolatrous adulterer at Baal of Peor, uh, thereby turning back God's wrath. And then a few chapters later in Numbers 31, Phineas was sent off to war against the Midianites. So, yeah, so far all we've heard about Phineas is that he... Uh, he was the impetuous one who, who was eager to, for, zealous for the Lord and was willing to strike down idolaters. So you might think that Phineas is, oh, he's going to go and he's going to be very aggressive in his... Well, but listen. Listen to what Phineas says. Because he reminds them of Baal at Peor. He reminds them of the story where he had taken center stage in his youth. And he... he he says, what is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves? Uh, this is referring to the sort of the mixed marriages that had come about from that. Uh, and he says, basically, it, it's not like this is, this, this, it just sort of went away at but at Peor, Phineas had taken the lead in purging Israel by obeying the Lord and slaying the wicked. And then he also says, remember Achan. Remember how Achan broke faith in the matter of devoted things and wrath fell upon the congregation of Israel. Achan had, had taken some of the devoted things, some of the gold, the silver, and a Babylonian robe, a priestly garment. And because of that, his sin led to the slaughter of the Israelites at Ai. That's why he said he did not perish alone for his iniquity. His sin brought judgment and death upon his fellow, his fellow Israelites. So Phineas comes to the two and a half tribes and brings an accusation of apostasy. You've broken faith. You've turned away from the Lord. Now, if you think about it, Phineas here is doing precisely what the Levites were supposed to do in Israel. The Levites received no inheritance in terms of a, a, re, a region in the land. 
Their inheritance is the Lord's food offerings. Their inheritance, as Joshua said earlier, is the Lord himself. And they are scattered throughout the tribes of Israel as a way of maintaining the unity of the people of God. So when he comes, he's coming as one who, who, doesn't, who doesn't have his own inheritance in a sense, but who's scattered throughout the tribes. Remember, we are one and we need to live as one. So, so he brings the charge. But then he's also willing to listen to the response. And the response of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh is, Oh, no, no, no. This is not an altar for sacrifice. The mighty one, God the Lord. The mighty one, God the Lord. He knows. And let Israel itself know. So this is not an altar for sacrifice. It's an altar simply for witness. It's to be a monument. A visible sign of the unity of the people of God. And notice, notice that the altar is built out of fear. We often hear nowadays, we have to say, oh, you should never do anything out of fear. David Pallison has rehabilitated anger. Anger is not always a bad thing. I think we also need to rehabilitate fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you have no place in your world for doing things out of fear, you have no place for wisdom. They do this out of fear. We did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? I mean, what does, what does fear do in a, in a particular situation? I mean, if you're, if you're going for a walk and it's that dark outside and all of a sudden you hear something in the distance, just physiologically, what does that fear do? Okay, your adrenaline is now pumping. You are now sort of fully armed for being able to deal with whatever comes your way. If you don't have any fear in that moment, you're not ready for what comes next. Fear is not a bad thing. The question is, what do you do with it? Our problem, and if you're used to David Pallison's comments on anger, you know, our problem is, <laughs> is not that we're angry. Our problem is what we do with our anger in the same way. Our problem is not that we're afraid. It's what we do with our fear. We often misuse fear because we're more concerned with what others think about us than with what God thinks about us. Notice that Gad and Reuben's fear is based on what the Lord himself has done. Their, their fear is that the children of Israel will say, the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and the people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. They're paying attention to what God is teaching his people. Uh, God has been tr- is trying to communicate. I mean, this is why God has spread the Levites out among them, so that, they will, so that they will see and understand. No, you are one people, and the Levites are there to sort of unite you. I mean, this gets really practical for us, because what are you afraid of? What are you concerned about? The fears of Reuben and Gad were appropriate. Your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Your children might treat our children like second-class citizens. I mean, doesn't every parent have that fear? The difference that, you know, that other people, you know, your children won't, will treat my children different. Now, part of it is our situation has changed. If you think about Reuben and Gad, they're not actually thinking about what's going to happen in the next few months and weeks. They're thinking about what's going to happen in the next few decades or centuries. 
And I would encourage us, we need to be thinking more in terms of decades and centuries than we do in just months or weeks. We need to develop better that long-term thinking of what is the big picture of where we are going and what we're doing for the next millennium. That's, I know that's, a millennium's a long time, but that's, if we're just thinking about the next few months and weeks, that tends to get us really narrow focused rather than seeing what God is doing in the big picture. Notice how Reuben and Gad handle it. They build an altar. They build a massive stone altar as a witness. And they say that it's designed to be a copy of the heavenly altar at the tabernacle of the Lord. And I call it the heavenly altar because the altar at the tabernacle was itself a picture of the heavenly altar. And so now this, so this altar at the Jordan, it's not, like, no, 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 we're not going to use it for offerings and sacrifices. We're using this as a witness, as a reminder that when people see this altar at the Jordan River, they're reminded, oh yes, right, on both sides of the Jordan, we worship the same God. On both sides of the Jordan, we gather at, 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 at Shiloh, at the tabernacle, to worship the living and true God. Of course, the greatest memorial ever built was built by our Lord Jesus Christ himself because our Lord Jesus Christ has entered that heavenly temple built built without hands and he is, as we saw this morning from Ephesians, he is building us as a holy temple to himself. So there's a way in which what God is doing in us as living stones building us together into that holy holy dwelling place is, is crucial but then the external signs are still important. I, I, I used to think that the church should only have a table at the Lord, for the Lord's Supper. But it was actually the story of Ed that helped me see that not every altar in the Old Testament was for sacrifice. Here you have an altar that was for witness. And, and particularly, if you think about this particular piece of furniture we have here, a wooden altar? Seriously, you're going to burn anything on that? <laughs> Use it once, it'll be gone. So, it's, it's actually, it's a table, but in the shape of an altar, which actually gives both parts of the picture. Which, because the Lord's table is where we partake of the heavenly altar. And that's where both parts come together. It's also fitting for those who may not have heard the story that the wood for the pulpit, the table, and the baptismal font is actually came, came from the same wood from the pews. There's there extra wood left over, and so we gave it to a, an Amish craftsman who... Which is, is fitting when you think about the way in which what you sort of as where you're sitting is connected to what God does in word and sacrament in binding his church together. So it, it just obviously nothing required in the word of God that you do it that way. But when we think about, there was also nothing in the word of God that said, you must build memorial altars here and there. But this memorial altar that the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh built was approved by God as this is a good way of signifying the unity of the people of God with one another in the worship of God. And when Phineas hears all this, Phineas Phineas says, today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith. Uh, Phineas recognizes that, okay, 
you know, building an altar, you know, if you think about it, building a you know, rock, using rocks to build a something, that's not inherently sinful. Sacrificing on an altar other than the one the Lord has appointed, that's what would be sinful. And so Phineas says that the answer of the eastern tribes has delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Israel will not be ripped apart by civil war because the eastern tribes have acted and spoken faithfully. Today we know that the Lord is in our midst. Today we know Emmanuel, God is with us. Phineas recognizes the presence of God for what it is. When God is present, when God is with us, we turn away from sin. We only sin when we turn away from God. And so when they come back and they report to the people of Israel, Israel as a whole blesses God for the provision of of deliverance. Now, it's worth noting that in the book of Judges, uh, there'll be a similar situation with a very different ending. Israel will gather again under the high priest Phineas to go to war, but that delegation will get a very different response and judgment will fall against one of the tribes of Israel. So, in our story today, what do we have? We have, we have an altar that speaks. An altar that bears witness that the Lord, He is God. An altar that witnesses to the unity of the people of God. And, and the story of Ed reminds us that ordinary folk can still do our small part in bearing witness to the mighty deeds of God. Robert and Marion Hall understood rightly that, ah, right, we can do our small part in bearing witness to the word of God. We need memorials, not just for the next few months or years, but for the next few centuries. But we, we have to start somewhere. And I mean, I, I, I'd, I'd had a thought, which... I'm happy to say, is no longer relevant. Um, as of last night, we were still looking for another $750 for the, the, the counseling internship. But I'll, I'll tell you what my thought was, because I'm even happier that it's already been met, because this way, this way I'm, I don't ask for money from the pulpit, so that's, it's really, but I want to give this as a thought for here's, and particularly I want to talk to the young people about this. When you were thinking about, okay, the, okay, the church is asking for money, what do we, $750, probably very few of you young people would, have, would be able to do that. But what if 15 of you each gave $50? don't know how good your math is, but that's $750. If 15 of you gave $50, that would be $750. That's, if you think about, it's not, necess- it's not always the big things. Sometimes sort of, sort of coming together to make, bringing little things together can help to make big things. So I'm, I'm really happy to say, you know, we don't need you to do that right now, but this also means I want to challenge you to think about what are things that you can do. And it, it may or may not involve money. It may be, how do you work together? I mean, as we think about building monuments, how can you work together in building the kingdom of God, in bearing witness it may be you, you, when, when something comes up, you, you can sort of band together with a group of your friends and say, "Hey, we want to make this happen." I mean, I'm, I'm, I just, I, I think I said a couple of weeks ago that I, I was pleased that we had. I had a couple of complaints. Well, I've had a couple more. I mean, it's it's been fantastic. I mean, just just 
I'm, I'm really encouraged by, I mean, it's now at least, at least four, if not five, young people have come to me with complaints saying, hey, can we work on this? So this is, I mean, I'm, I'm really encouraged by that. And I want to encourage you, this, I mean, this is what, this is what Joshua 22, the story of Ed, is saying to, to all of us, recognizing that we all need to be, you know, as Israel, Israel is, it's a transition point in the history of Israel. Joshua's getting old, Eliezer is getting old, it's now the next generation that's coming up, and that's where, uh, hopefully by the grace of God, I mean, sure, I mean, in one sense, the, the counseling ministry, at the moment, we're only talking about for this one year, but the goal is that it would be established and that for years, dare we say, generations to come, that this would be a, a way in which the gospel goes forth in the life of the people of God throughout our community. So as we think about what we're doing, um, let's think about how we do it in the same way that the story of Ed encourages us. So let's pray. Oh Lord our God, how we thank you and praise you for your great mercy to us in Jesus. We thank you for your faithfulness to your people. We thank you that, that in your mercy, uh, the people of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh were faithful to you in building that altar for witness. And we, we pray that you would help us to bear witness to the gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, that as we walk before you, as we live in the, in, as those who belong to Jesus, that we might bear witness from age to age, from generation to generation, to the fact that the, the Lord, He is God. You are our God. You are our Father. And your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is our King, our Head. And we thank you. And we, we love you because you have loved us with an everlasting love. Help us to walk humbly before you and, and, and strengthen us by your grace that we might that we might live as those who belong to Jesus. Have mercy, O Lord, upon those who are afflicted in, in, in various ways. Be with those who are afflicted in body and those who are afflicted in, in soul. And we pray for those who are, who are anxious and, and depressed and, and discouraged. And we pray that you would encourage and build them up. We pray for those who are fearful, that you would help them to, to use their fears wisely and properly in, in following you and be... be finding the, the wisdom that comes in your Son, our Lord Jesus. And we pray, Lord, for, for those who are, who are angry and upset, that you would help them to use their anger wisely and properly to, to build up and edify rather than to tear down. We pray, Lord, that you would help us all to, to speak and to act in such a way as, as learning from, from Phineas to, to, to respond wisely and properly and to bring good challenges, complaints at the right time. Help us, Lord, to respond well when others bring complaints and challenges to us that we might bear witness to your faithfulness and we might confess our sin and turn away from it where we have sinned and and trust you in the midst of all the afflictions and and trials of life. Help us to, to, to always keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we might hold fast to you in every situation. And as we go to our rest now this night, we pray that you would strengthen us and grant to us your peace. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.